Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for giving us a listen today. And thanks for your topic suggestions. If you didn't know, we've got a contact form at thenexttrack.com where you can make a suggestion for a future show. And that's where we get a lot of ideas for topics, so don't be shy. You'll find the link to the contact form at the top of every page at thenexttrack.com. This is episode number 43 of The Next Track, and we've asked our friend Chris Conacher of computeraudiophile.com to come join us again. Computeraudiophile.com is where hi-fi and high-tech converge. Chris, great to see you again, as always. Ah, great to be back, guys. Good to see you. We wanted to invite Chris on again this week because Chris really likes streaming music. He streams music all the time. He streams from Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and probably tons of other streaming services. Last week, there was some news that was going around that Spotify has been doing some A-B testing, offering lossless streaming. Now, A-B testing is when you present something to some of your users and not the others to see how people react. And websites often do this. They'll try one color with half the people and another color with another and see if more people click. So it's clear that Spotify is interested in bringing about lossless streaming. There are already a couple of services that do lossless streaming, aren't there, Chris? Right now, Tidal has probably been doing lossless streaming the longest. They had it when they were WIMP. And then, you know, when they launched Tidal, it was lossless. And Deezer Elite as long as you're on the Sonos platform, does lossless. Then there's others, some minor ones like Cobuzz will have a lossless streaming if you're part of, you know, the the group and this and that. But I don't even count it because it's not available in the U.S. or many other countries. It's kind of a French thing. So, but mainly, mainly Deezer Elite and Tidal. Yeah, Cobuzz was doing lossless well before Wimp slash Tidal. Wimp is what Tidal was called before it got bought out by that guy. What's his name? Mr. Z. Sean um, Carter. <laughs> yeah. When I was in France, I had Cobas for a while and they did have a lossless option. But as you say, they're not available in the U.S. And, and other countries. I think they're available in most European countries, but I don't think they're expanding very well. The, the point here is that we've had we've got a standard model of music streaming. You get albums and songs and playlists and you may or may not have videos depending on the service. Apple has Beats One Radio and other sort of radio type programs. And I think now, after a few years of music streaming, we've gotten to the point where this is this is just the way it is for now. But in order to make this expand, in order to get streaming to more people, there are going to have to be some changes and, and there are going to have to be some additions. Spotify has recently said they've got 50 million paid subscribers. I think Apple, the last mention from Apple was about 20. Now, there are more than 6 billion people on the planet, so they've got a long way to go. What could be added to a streaming music service to make it more compelling to people, to get more people to subscribe, to get more people to be interested in streaming music? When I look at it is, you know, for the most part, they all have the same music. Sure, you know, Taylor Swift's latest album's only on Apple Music or whatever, but for the most part, the same music. I think it all comes down to the experience. So this weekend, I was at a party and, you know, I got the honors of, hey, can you be the DJ? Just because I'm the music guy, of course. <laughs> and they had a Bluetooth stereo thing there. So I was switching between Spotify, Apple Music and Tidal because I needed to get, you know, those specific things. But for the most part, it's all the same stuff. But the experience to me isn't that good. Uh, just browsing through, say, Apple Music. And I was like, OK, there's a few pages of what they suggest for me, but 
I'm looking for 90s hip hop. And it just was like, this should be easier. And also, one thing I would love to see, and I know Wimp had this back in the day, was full album art. Like I would go to, I remember going to Pearl Jam's Backspacer album, and I could click on a PDF within Wimp, and it downloaded the full PDF of the booklet. That was cool. That's like an immersive experience. Once you get into that, like, oh, I want more of this. I need this. But adding more music certainly isn't going to be a key to getting more people to sign up. That's for sure. Well, what about lossless streaming? Um, as we said, you know, Tidal does it and Deezer Elite and, you know, there are a couple of small services. But we, we've talked about the interest of high resolution when you're on a, a mobile device. And, and we kind of all agree that it's not really worthwhile because you're not in a in a clean audio environment, I, I would argue it's the same for lossless, that not only will you not hear the difference, but it'll be hitting your um, data uh, on your phone if you're listening to lossless streaming and you'll run out of data very quickly. Yeah, you know, as a card-carrying, knuckle-dragging audiophile, I agree. It's lossless, I don't think, is consumer-driven. It's, it's here's we have another feature, everybody, and Spotify is now going to be in the press and they're going to get coverage for it. And okay, they could sign up 10,000 audio files, but that's not even a dent. You know, I know a lot of people that will switch from title to Spotify when they announce or when they come out with lossless because they're not happy with title, but still a lot of people being like a couple hundred. So I don't think <laughs> lossless is the way to get it to more people and, you know, data plans. Yeah, that's a huge deal. So it's just something to generate interest and you know, hopefully get a few people. You know, as far as, as consumers go, I don't think they care about audio quality. I mean, traditional terrestrial radio sounds terrible. Uh, I've talked about this before. The audio chain for broadcast audio just, just sucks the life out of music. But radio is still as popular as it ever was, despite the quality. So I don't think a quality factor is going to necessarily attract pedestrian listeners to streaming services. People just want to hear the song they want to hear. And so whether that comes down as a, a 128 kbps mp3 or whether it comes down as high res, I think is a total non-consideration. There are other factors that are more important, like like price and accessibility. I think you're right. And I think you touch on a couple of points there. It's free and it's easy. So, you know, the Spotify free tier or ad supported tier, you know, a lot of people don't like it for, you know, say, lack of payment or whatever, I think it's got to be there to get people. Um, and then probably, you know, streaming services more embedded in, in automobiles. So a lot of people listen to the radio in their car, at least in the U.S. So if I can just click on Spotify on my dashboard and play it, that's great. And I'm not going to want, you know, high res for the car's data plan or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's price and access convenience. You know, it's funny you mention about a Spotify button in a car because I'm getting a new car in about two weeks. I'm getting a Toyota Yaris hybrid that I'm leasing, a brand new one. First time I've had a new car in a long time. And I seem to remember in one of the pictures of the entertainment system that there was a Spotify icon. But I've looked on the web and I can't find anything about it. In fact, there's hardly anything about the specs of this entertainment system. You know, you say that and I'm reminded, I don't, I don't know where I saw this article, but several months ago, Somebody was pointing out that the documentation for several car brands wasn't going into much detail about the car's audio system. I don't know what that's about, but you mentioned it, and so I thought I'd bring it up. I kind of look at this as kind of similar to the smart TV issue. It's 
all the TV manufacturers advertise, we have smart TVs. But when you go to use them compared to an Apple TV, the experience is abysmal. I mean, try searching Netflix with your TV remote that came with your TV. It's terrible. So I'm thinking, say Spotify is embedded into your new car. I wonder what that experience is going to be like. Can that manufacturer, whoever they've outsourced it to, can they provide an experience? Uh, I highly doubt it. So, you know, we'll see. But there's also, say, Android Auto and Apple's CarPlay, which are kind of there, but still require you to connect your phone or do whatever. So it's still, it's nothing like FM or AM radio. That convenience is just unmatched. If I could just go into my car, hit Spotify, hit a playlist, boom, done, that would be awesome. Or, you know, hit a station and it's done. I guess, do you guys know how many people are on, say, XM or satellite radio? I was just going to mention that. Sirius XM is a good example. I think a lot of people pay for that because they get it free, what, the first year when they buy a car? And it's in every single car in the United States. It's not available over here in Europe, however. And I'm guessing that there are millions and millions of people who use that. I have a good friend who uh, has Sirius XM, and he loves it. It's got a Grateful Dead channel, too, Kirk. I know, and, and I would love to have it just for that. You know, I wonder if there's something that can be taken from there for the streaming services. Can we make it as easy as satellite radio? And would it be worth it? How many people is, are on satellite radio, you know? I don't know. It's fair to say that the reason Sirius XM has worked as well as it has is similar to the reason Netflix has worked as well as it has. Netflix is available on pretty much any device that can either display video or stream video to a TV set. And Sirius XM, again, in the US is available in, I guess, pretty much every car. Now, it used to be two different things, Sirius and XM that merged, etc. It, it kind of makes sense that there would be a single provider rather than multiple providers. According to Wikipedia, Sirius XM has 31 million subscribers. And that's just, I believe, U.S., maybe Canada, Mexico. And what that means is that's more than Apple Music in the entire world. That's more than half the number of Spotify subscribers. And Spotify is not in as many countries as Apple Music is. So that's huge. And as Doug was saying, people listen to radio a lot, but they listen in the car a lot. So Sirius XM is definitely, I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily an experience, I think it's just the presence of Sirius XM in a car that makes you want to check it out. Well, one of the great things about Sirius XM is that it is a lot like broadcast radio. They have DJs and announcers and promos and things like that. And there's something missing when I play Pandora, for instance. And I and I think it's the human interaction. I, I find that when I'm listening to a local radio station that I feel like I'm part of something, which is something that radio has been stressing a lot lately to differentiate itself from, from digital services. But... If I'm listening to a stream like Pandora or Apple Music, whatever, that human element is missing. Now, I'm wondering, and maybe this is science fiction, but why not use voice technology to create a sort of virtual personal announcer? And this wouldn't be like, not like Siri or Alexa that would listen to what I'm saying. This would be some localization customized for me. For instance, maybe every so often do a backsell on the songs that just played or pre-sell some of the songs that are coming up, right? Like a DJ would do. Or even read local weather like every half hour or even local news headlines. Now, I'm not, I, I don't need a robot, but a simple something like in Boston today, 65 and sunny. Here's some more deer tick, Doug. Boom, into deer tick. I mean, why not add a pseudo human touch? Because I kind of miss it with most services. Yeah, I think, I think you're onto something there. I, I do, too. And I, I wonder if it's because we're, you know, we grew up listening to radio. But 
even so, there's a lot of people who grew up listening to radio, and maybe those who didn't could be exposed to the human aspect and get more into it. But yeah, now it's like a big jukebox. Well, the interesting thing about having an announcer or a human-like voice is that radio is still doing that. I mean, radio has had the human touch for years, and actually for the longest time, and only up until recently, radio was very touchy about new digital delivery services, very defensive and anxious. But now they're kind of like, hey, we're still kicking butt. I mean, radio in the U.S. is a multi-billion dollar industry and shows no sign of declining at all. So if a human component could be introduced in a streaming service, it might be very interesting. So Apple did try to add that little human touch with Beats One Radio. Unfortunately, it's limited to just a couple of genres and, and a very narrow demographic. I'm kind of surprised that Apple hasn't come out with Beats 2 and Beats 3 and Beats 4 and Beats 5 and all that to cover other genres. Because a couple of weeks ago, I looked up and do you guys know what the largest selling genre of music is in the United States? Uh, EDM. Doug? Country? No, it's still rock. Is it really? Like 30%. Yeah, it still is. Hip-hop, R&B, urban, and all what, what they lump together comes in second. And I think country comes after that. EDM actually doesn't sell a lot in terms of, you know, actual sales or, or in terms of streaming revenue, I think. But the, the point is that if Apple has Beats 1, which is the second highest genre, the sort of R&B, hip-hop, pop type stuff, they don't have a Beats 2 for rock. They don't have a Beats 3 for country. They certainly don't have a Beats 11 for jazz and, and Beats 33 for classical. <laughs> and, 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 Beats, and Beats 72 for, you know, a Grateful Dead channel. So maybe what would make a big difference for streaming is having channels like on Sirius XM, which really are popular. I know a lot of people who keep telling me how much they like Sirius XM because of the specific channels. And, and I think these channels, what do they do? They have a few hours of original programming a day that sort of cycles over and over. So that means that when you're driving to work or driving home or taking a trip somewhere, you can put on your channel and listen to a Grateful Dead show, a Pearl Jam concert, or, you know, some best country hits or whatever. One yeah. thing comes to mind is maybe they're a little too cool for school. You know, if Apple says, we're going to have the Tupac channel, you know, we're going to have the NWA channel, this is what I was listening to at the party the other night, so it's in my mind. Then they're just like the other guys, you know? Or maybe their demographic doesn't want that. I don't know. Y you would think they want a bigger demographic, but, you know, who knows? But they don't know who their demographic is. In fact, they're trying to establish a demographic among this specifically limited genre. But I'm not convinced that that is their core demographic, and I'm not convinced that they're even aware of it. I think, you know, a lot of this has to do with the purchase of beats that, that focused them in that direction through, you know, getting Dr. Dre as part of their team. But I don't think that's necessarily the demographic using Apple Music. Uh, I'm just looking at SiriusXM's webpage and, and the different stations they have. I mean, they've got a 24-7 Elvis channel. Yes, I was going to mention that a moment ago, but that's, it's a great station. When I've heard it, it's awesome. I mean, you don't even have to like Elvis. It's just they do so many interesting Elvis things. Yeah, but they've also got a channel for music from the 50s, from the 60s, from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. So if you don't know what you want to listen to, you can just, boom, check one of those channels and... You know, you'll be happy for the half hour you're in your car. They've got a Grateful Dead channel, Pearl Jam Radio. They've got E Street Radio with 24-7 Springsteen. They've got jam bands. They've got eclectic rock. In fact, there's a lot of rock on uh, Sirius XM. But then they've got 
today's hip-hop hits and Eminem's hip-hop channel and today's R&B hits. I mean, they've got tons of channels. It goes down to bluegrass and show tunes and 40s pop hits and all that. This portion of the Next Track podcast is being brought to you by Sirius XM. Sirius XM. <laughs> I, I really wish I had Sirius XM over here to be able to try it out. So Apple Music wants to create something like that by letting you create a station, I'm doing the air quotes there, from any song. Unfortunately, those stations just don't have, they don't have the human touch. You know, Doug, you were saying earlier, the radio, it has the human touch. And those stations, they're all just algorithm. They're not as good as the genius feature that's in iTunes. And we talked about that in our last episode about playlists. And they just, I get bored after about three or four tracks usually. You know, it's too bad that you don't have uh, Pandora because it's really easy to create a station and add, um, add flavor to it or delete it and start again. It's as easy as the Genius Shuffle on iTunes we talked about last week. Do you make radio stations with Apple Music ever? I have, but I don't regularly. I find them kind of, uh, they don't go very deep, you know? Yeah. They're blah. They're okay, but they're not great. Yeah. So a couple things come to mind there. Do you have the pricing for XM on that site? Yeah, what kind of tiers do they offer? Sirius XM ranges from $11 a month to $20 a month. 80 channels, 140 channels, and 150 channels plus streaming. So the 80 channels is just basically in your car. So you don't get like the Grateful Dead, Pearl Jam, and Bruce Springsteen, which are the premium music channels. So basically that's the $16. The $20 includes Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, PGA, so that's for, you know, sports fans. So if you just want the music, you're going to be paying 16 a month. So no matter what option you choose there, it's more expensive than Apple Music, right. Spotify. Right. So that's interesting. 30 million people. Granted, when you get it with your car, the first year is free. And then when you call and say, I want to cancel, they cut you a deal for half price. But it's yeah. still, you know, people are paying for music they're only listening to in their car and they can't access it anywhere else in a normal environment. Yeah, you can do it through Sonos, but... You know, still. So that's interesting. Pricing thing. Price doesn't seem to be a barrier there. No, it's not. Another thing that I... comes to mind, uh, as Doug was talking, was this shared experience. There's no shared experience with any of these services. So if I'm listening to Pandora, everything that comes to me, Pandora says, this is for you. If I listen to a playlist, I'm just listening to that. Versus if I'm listening to, say, a radio station, I know everyone who else is listening to that is hearing the same thing. So if I hear my favorite song, there's kind of this feeling of, hey, these guys are also hearing my favorite song. There, there's an experience there that is totally absent without, you know, the radio station format on streaming services. I hang out in a Grateful Dead group on Facebook and every once in a while people are saying, oh, yeah, there was this really great concert last night on Sirius. So it does have that shared experience. Now, with the $20 a month subscription to SiriusXM, you can also stream to your computer. So I would guess that people who are really into some of those channels may also be listening at home and not just in their cars. But that's $20 a month. And so one of the things I was going to suggest about streaming music 2.0 is that the price lower, that apparently at $10 or 10 pounds or 10 euros a month, people aren't you know, running to subscribe to their local streaming music service. Maybe it needs to be seven ninety nine or five bucks or something like that. Streaming becomes really affordable if you've got a family plan. So, you know, what is it? Usually five people for, I think, $15 with Apple. But so it's interesting that, that serious people are paying 16 or $20 to have this experience, most of them limited to the car, yet 
people aren't willing to pay that much for the streaming music that they listen to on their phone. Now, could it be because a lot of people are paying for Sirius and they don't want to pay for another streaming service? Because maybe most of the time they're listening to a streaming service is in the car anyway. So maybe Apple Music and Spotify are competing with Sirius XM and we don't really realize that. That's a possibility. Yeah, it is. Uh, I look at it like when I, I had Sirius XM um, for a number of years, I associate that more with if I have a car payment, okay, yeah, that's just part of my car. I don't consider that part of my music life for some reason. So it's this segmentation in my brain, maybe. I wouldn't think that's uncommon. I wouldn't think that's an uncommon thought. That's kind of how I would consider it. It's like, well, it's for the car. The online experience for SiriusXM has always been terrible. I've done it and been, you guys charge money for this. This is terrible. Uh, so using it through Sonos is probably the only other way I do it outside of a car because the Sonos experience is pretty nice. Um, but I think, I think you're right when you talk about price. It has to get cheaper. Because I think we've talked about before, the average person's yearly expenditure on music is 10 to $15. So to get them to spend that much per month, it's just not going to happen. So if you get them to spend five bucks a month, you know, that's more than the zero you're getting now. Do you suppose it's based on scale? I mean, is it, are prices going to come down when, you know, Apple Music or Spotify reaches 100 million or 150 million? Or is it a matter of... Well, if it scales that big, then that means they owe more fees. I mean, is that another ball of wax? That that shouldn't affect the price because, as you say, the record labels are not giving Apple Music or Spotify a discount if they get a billion streams instead of a million streams. So it's not something that scales like that. And just, just to note, I said the record labels because artists do not get paid by the streaming music services. When you read about artists getting screwed by streaming music services, they're getting screwed by their record labels. They're not getting screwed by the streaming music services. 100% correct. And that narrative needs to be told over and over. Because when you have all the people in the industry coming out, signing petitions against YouTube or the streaming services saying we're not getting paid, they need to look in the mirror and say, I signed a contract with my record label and it's the same as it ever was. They screwed you back then and they're screwing you now. <laughs> it's it's the truth. I hate to say it. Yeah, but the, the point is it doesn't scale. And so I can't see any way that this is going to... The only possibility would be, you know, average artist gets a million streams a month, right? Average decent artist, they get a million streams a month. If there's 10 times as many people listening, then maybe they'll get 10 million streams a month. So they will make more money. Would the streaming services then go back to the record labels and say, well, look, we're paying you this much money. We need to pay you less. And remember, it's not that they'd be paying less as a percentage. It's roughly 30% of the income that goes to the rights holders, which is generally the record labels. But what they would be lowering is the amount of income, not the percentage. So they'd be paying 30% on $5 a month instead of $10 a month. And the record labels would have to agree to this, which has the effect of lowering the per stream rate that everyone gets. But they would have to agree to this because of the critical mass, meaning that there's that much money flowing. Yeah, I, I think you're gonna see all kinds of renegotiations and one-off negotiations. If I'm Taylor Swift, I'm gonna say, here's what I want up front and here's what I want per stream, take it or leave it. And I think there's gonna be all kinds of that. But how many artists do you think have the clout to do that? Not too many, but- A couple dozen, a hundred? Yeah, yeah, I guess if, if you can show the numbers. If you span genres, you know, go to lots of genres, it's going to be a handful of rock bands, a handful of, you know, country bands, 
Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen, Garth Brooks. Is he? Does he even stream his music? I think he's still a recalcitrant. He tried his own ill-fated streaming service, I believe. Yeah. Well, we know how that works out. When when one label or one artist tries to get someone to pay five or ten bucks a month just for their music. Yes. So that brings up uh, exclusives. Do you guys think they're here to stay? No. And and you notice I answered very quickly because I I think the thing is when the Taylor Swift album came out. Uh, on Apple Music, it was also immediately available on YouTube because people just copied it and uploaded it to YouTube. And and YouTube is not in any hurry to take these things down because they want the traffic. Whatever exclusive there were on Tidal, same thing. They, was it Beyonce on Tidal? Same thing. It was up in YouTube in five minutes. You know, the genie's out of the bottle in terms of these things being, being shared. So the only way exclusives have value is as a sort of influencer brand type thing you know we're apple music we're the we're the taylor swift brand type thing but i i don't think they're not going to get you to change your streaming service because at the end of the let's say the the second day of your your monthly subscription a new taylor swift album comes out you're not on apple music so you're going to switch but you're going to switch maybe at the end of the month and then the next month there's going to be another exclusive on another one and you're going to switch back and people will get tired of that very quickly totally like i was telling you at this party I had three streaming services on my phone. It was a, it was a mess. All right. Well, I think we've covered everything we can think of. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what these people who have a great deal of knowledge about music and how to sell it come up with. It's fair to say that they haven't come up with anything very interesting, so maybe they don't have that much knowledge. <laughs> Chris, thanks for joining us once again. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. Chris Conacher runs the ComputerAudioFile.com website, which we highly recommend. The forums are well-renowned. Check it out. And before we wrap things up, we're going to present our next tracks. Kirk, what are you going to be listening to? My next track this week is an artist I haven't listened to in, I'm going to say, 30 years, honestly. I was floating around Apple Music. I've been listening to a lot of Robert Johnson Lee. When I was floating around Apple Music and I was listening to a, a number of blues performers, and particularly Keb Moe, um, who's recorded a number of Robert Johnson songs. And when I was looking in the blues section and I saw what's new, I came across a recent album, November 2016, by Leon Redbone. Do you remember Leon Redbone? I do remember Leon Redbone. In fact, um, <laughs> it is he more than Yorma Kalkinen that I think is more responsible for introducing me to ragtime guitar playing and that sort of thing. I, I first saw Leon Redbone on Saturday Night Live, and, and he was on Saturday Night Live quite a few times in the 70s. And according to Wikipedia, he was on a few times in the very first season. So this album by Leon Redbone is called Long Way From Home, and it's an album of his early recordings. And I, I've only listened to a couple of songs so far. This really is my next track. As soon as we finish, I'm going to listen to the rest. It seems to be mostly early, simple voice and guitar recordings, really stripped down stuff. I've always liked his sound, as you said, ragtime. He's got that old time blues and he's got that, you know, funny voice and all that. And he's got that persona, which is sort of like a man out of time, right? And and we were talking before the show about how there were rumors that Leon Redbone was not a real person, that he was like a character and he was played by someone like either Andy Kaufman or Frank Zappa. In any case, this is my next track. It's A Long Way From Home by Leon Redbone. It's some early recordings of his. And if you've never heard Leon Redbone, it's, yeah, he's cool. He's got this sort of ragtime and country and blues, and, and he's got this old-fashioned look and everything, and he's got a cool voice. So check it out. Doug, what about you? What are you listening to? 
I will be listening to the self-titled first album from Cactus. Cactus was a blues rock band formed when Tim Bogert and Carmen Apache of Vanilla Fudge were not able to hook up with Jeff Beck to form a sort of supergroup. Jeff Beck was in a car accident and was laid up for a year or so. Two years later, they did do the Beck, Bogert, and Apache thing, but for two years, their band Cactus cranked out some serious rock and blues stuff. They uh, did three studio albums and a live album. Now, besides Bogert and Apache on bass and drums, respectively, they had Jim McCarty on guitar and Rusty Day on vocals. Rusty was originally from Ted Nugent's band, The Amboy Dukes. You want to talk about rock family trees, right? Now, it's funny you should mention about digging around in Apple Music because Apple Music is constantly recommending that I listen to the Cactus version of Parchment Farm, which is an on-fire cover of a Mose Allison song. Parchment Farm is the first song off this album, so I am giving in and I'll be listening to the whole thing. Cactus, the first album from Cactus. And it's so short, eight songs, I may give their live album, Otten Sweaty, a listen to also. Two next tracks. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.